With just under a month to go, Joe Biden will take the oath of office to be the next president, the 46th president of the United States on January 20th, 2021. As part of his campaign, he talked repeatedly about building back better. To do this, he's going to need a capable team inside the White House and outside the White House between his top staff and his members of his cabinet. On this new series, we're going to look at the inside analysis, the inner circle analysis of those people that are going to help Biden get the job done. On this new series, we're calling The Huddle. We will explore the personalities and the doers that are going to make this happen. As part of The Huddle, I'll be joined by my frequent contributor, strategist and producer, Brendan Konacki, and from time to time, key thought leaders, reporters, other interesting people hanging out in DC that can help us explore the upper echelons of the US government, and namely, who is in Joe Biden's huddle. So today, we've got Brendan Konacki. Brendan, how are you doing? Hey, Mark. Uh, it's great to be here with you. As usual, this is a big time of change coming for uh, DC, who's looking for a, uh, a big change after four years of discontent. And uh, I think we should just dive right in and see what Team Biden has in store. I'm excited. After uh, four years of Captain Chaos and the pirate ship of Team Trump, we're now entering the vanilla applesauce stage of the presidency, <laughs> the more, more subdued Team Biden that'll be taking over. People laugh at vanilla, but it's a very popular flavor. So, well, And Joe Biden, of course, the kind of sewer, as you know, of ice cream. Sometimes I'm sure he goes for a little bit of Rocky Road, but vanilla is a very satisfying, delicious treat. Well, let's dive right in. I think one thing that we have to remember is that in Biden's inner circle, the tone is going to be set from the top. And that comes from not just Joe Biden himself, but also from Ron Klain, who's going to be the incoming chief of staff. This is a person who the Biden administration is, is happy to have bringing steadfast leadership because he's been with Joe Biden for so long. Not only was he working with him through the campaign, he worked in the vice president's office as the chief of staff for two years, and he knows the inner workings of the vice presidency. He worked for Al Gore for four years, too. This is a safe choice. This is a steady choice, but it's one that's certainly able to get the job done. And I think that's what uh, Biden wants to show is that he wants to show that he knows this is going to be a conventional government. It's going to be a uh, government that can get us where we need to be. That's why we're going to have an experienced voice like Jen Psaki coming to the uh podium in the press room, because we're not trying to uh, make too many waves that are going to worry people, as we remember the early days of Trump nominations. This is going to be a, a government that people have confidence in. Yeah, I think the Washington Post a few weeks back summed it up really well with this headline, Ron Klain's return to White House signals, quote, a rejection of Trump-era chaos. I think, can't think of really anybody uh, who's better positioned to be Joe Biden's chief of staff. I mean, Ron Klain checks off a lot of boxes, super talented, certainly knows how the government works, it's been tasked with huge priority projects before. And I think it's a very positive sign. I mean, I think the biggest challenge, and uh, we've talked about this for a long time, that Trump always had, he just never had the best people surrounding him. And, you know, this is one where Biden from day one is stepping out and saying, I'm getting serious. I got people who know how to run the government and we're going to hit the ground running. And given the fact that we're still in a wide sweeping pandemic. 
Uh, we also have to remember that Ron Klain was tasked by the Obama White House to lead the uh, Ebola virus task force in 2014. So this is a guy who understands that public health is a national security issue, that it's a global issue, and that it's also one that hits right at home for individuals, and that you have to look at all of those ideas when it comes to combating a pandemic. Yeah, 100%. I think there are a few uh, White Houses that have ever faced such a triumphant of various challenges. We get economic, national security, health, all at the same time, in some ways all interconnected. So it'll be really interesting to see how Ron Klain does in this job. I haven't really heard any downside about him being picked. He seems to be pretty consensus, pretty popular pick on the left wing between the uh, Democratic Party. I don't know. Have you heard anything? I think I think a lot of people just worry, uh, you know, is is this just, uh, you know, more of the same inside baseball? But but again, this is capability. This is capability that you can say, oh, it's just that guy who hits home runs. Well, it is just the guy who hits home runs. So, you know, I, 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 if I was running a baseball team, I, I'll take that guy every time. I think, so. too, from what we've read, too, um, it does seem like uh, like the Obama White House, the Biden White House really wants to be a center of all kinds of policy decisions. I think having somebody who knows what's going on in the position of chief of staff like Ron Klain really sends a signal to the rest of the uh, Democrats like the White House is back in charge. We've definitely seen a, a non-centralized government for four years here where there wasn't a lot of steady leadership setting a policy agenda, setting a um, sense of guidance. And so I think right now you're going to see that uh, the Biden White House is going to be the, the, the um, center of the wheel for all the policy decisions that come out of the cabinet departments. I think we should look at some of those. Why don't we start out by looking at uh, one of the most prominent picks uh, over at the Department of State? Yeah, so Department of State, very um, interesting. There was a lot of talk about Susan Rice, who was on the short list to be VP, but maybe not in some ways, not that surprising. Tony Blinken has gotten the call to be the Secretary of State to be nominated to take on this role. He's obviously somebody who's been with Joe Biden for a long time. Somebody who's a bit more hawkish than past uh, Secretary of States. Um, but this seems to be a consensus, another reminder to the folks, serious person, well-connected, knows the world, knows the president, which I think is super important for that job. You know, you don't wanna have too much daylight between you and the uh, Secretary of State. So positive sign. I don't think this will be uh, too shocking. He should see easy passage. Is Blinken going to be able to jump in and help repair some of the eroded relationships we have around the globe right now? Yeah, I think like Blinken, you know, at the forefront, he's got really, um, I would say, three roles. You know, re-extinguish, re re-energize, I should say, re-energize our alliances, both in uh, Europe as well as Asia, try to find a way to get unity and some kind of global climate change package that we can all, you know, agree on. And then I think the other component is, you know, what to do with China? You know, do you take a democratic democracy union approach or do you take a collection of you know, different states? But clearly, you know, between uh, alliances, climate and China, that's really going to take up a lot of the secretary of states four years. Well, our foreign policy relationship is, of course, about a lot of things. It's about trade. It's about economics, but it's also about our national defense. Um, what does it mean when we've got um, Lloyd Austin being nominated now to be the uh, incoming Secretary of Defense? 
Yeah, I think that's another reminder. Once again, you know, Joe Biden, who he wants in his huddle are people that know how to run D.C. and know the world. You know, here's a guy who's a four star general, spent a lot of time in the Middle East, dealt a lot with the war on terror, the Islamic state, you know, Islamic Islamic terrorism. So, um, you know, there's and he's not that exciting of a guy. Right. He's a very not, not a bad way, but a guy who's going to hit the ground running, knows what he's doing, understands the Pentagon and really is going to be a trusted advisor. I think if there's any down, downside is, you know, once again, we have a general coming in that's supposed to be a civilian role. Um, and then the, I don't know how close, you know, how well Joe Biden and Lloyd Austin know each other. Um, that could be there's, that could be problematic. There's talk that that this pick might have come because this was somebody who served with um, President-elect Biden's son and that, you know, was that coloring his thinking? But it's not necessarily wrong to say that you can have somebody who served with his son and also the right choice. Yeah, it, it's not. It makes sense, too. I mean, obviously, our Pentagon and you know the U.S. military has been really focused on what's happened in the Middle East. So um, it's not surprising that some of these folks would have connected with each other while they're in that part of the world, in that theater. Um, but once again, you know, I think the key thing here for the Build Back Better agenda, here's a guy who's steady. Show stability, has appreciation of the world and our alliances. And much like uh, Tony Blinken, you know, one of his first jobs is probably going to go right to Brussels and go to NATO headquarters and say, you know, we're back. We want to be a part of this alliance. Uh, I, I think it's, this is definitely part of that steady hand strategy that uh, this is going to be a government of capability. Of course, with the Trump administration, we saw so many outsiders that people wondered if someone like uh, 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 Rex Tillerson knew anything about being the Secretary of State. Nobody can question that Lloyd Austin doesn't know what it takes to run the Defense Department. No, 100%. And, um, you know, as much as people from the outside the Beltway may not like what happens inside the Beltway, certainly understanding the ecosystem of the city is super important. And to get stuff done especially some of the bigger projects that I think Biden wants to accomplish in four years is going to require people that can really hit the ground running and know how this town works. Talk to me about the Treasury Department. So Janet Yellen, kind of an interesting pick. You know, I don't think too many people had her on the radar screen. Obviously, she'd be the first woman to ever head up the Department of Treasury, um, which is interesting. She'd also be the first, uh, she'd have the be the first person to hold all three major kind of economic jobs in DC. She was a council economic advisors under Clinton. She was a federal reserve chair under, Obama, under Biden, under Obama. And now she becomes a treasury secretary. I think she's got one real job. How do you stimulate this economy? How do you keep this thing going? How do you keep the U S currency, the reserve currency of the world? Um, and she certainly, once again, here's somebody who knows not only what happens in this city, but also can call up national capitals around the world and get out with the right people, heads of state, financial finance ministers. So, um, you know, and steady, stable, you know, once again, you know, there's a recurring theme here. So that's the recurring theme that we've got, you know, somebody again who can do the job and probably do it well. But it raises one of the questions that people are saying about these Biden picks. What does it have to say about the identity politic of these picks where Jenny Allen's going to be the first woman in this job, Lloyd Austin's going to be the first African-American to run the Pentagon, that you have all these people, we're checking a lot of boxes. Is this the time for checking boxes when we have so much work to do? 
Hey, I'm not a Democrat, uh, so I don't know. You know, it does seem to be uh, the Democrats do seem to thrive on hyphenated Americans. So, um, you know, and they're going for this unprecedented approach kind of fits the narrative what, you know, uh, Joe Biden and his allies are trying to accomplish. But, you know, I don't want to, it doesn't really matter to me. You know, I think at this stage, these people have so many challenges, um, the kind of the culture wars or the politics may make for interesting fodder, but if you're, you know, international business, let's focus on the thing that we really got to hit the ground running. You know, I mean, today, um, as we're recording this, there's agreement on a stimulus package on Capitol Hill. It hasn't been signed into law yet. Um, and it's clear we're going to need more money. So, you know, the key is let's hit the ground running. Here's somebody has got a lot of talent. I think what's key about Yellen is she understands the Federal Reserve. She understands the inner working of the White House. And she can call literally anybody around the world and they'll take her call. I want to talk about another one of these firsts, um, and that's the nomination of Representative Deb Haaland to uh, be the Secretary of Interior. Now, people don't think of interior necessarily as one of the most important cabinet picks here, but there's been a lot of controversy Um you know, through the years about who was running this department. Um, this will be the first time that a Native American actually takes over the role of looking at our American lands. And so this would be an important pick here um, for the Biden administration. But also it's interesting because snatching out uh, this member of Congress at a time when there are razor thin margins, it certainly has to keep somebody like Nancy Pelosi on her toes when you see that it's a very slim margin for Democrats in uh, in the House. And also, this is a seat that in its lifetime has been a Republican 50% of the time. This is not a guaranteed Democratic seat. Yeah, the inside baseball politics on this are super interesting. I think as, you, as we enter 2021 with the midterms in 2022, um, traditionally the party out of power, that is the party not in the White House does really, really well in the midterm elections in the House. Um, certainly there seems to be a lot of energy in the Republicans. You would have to bet on the Republicans taking over the House in 22. You know, here is uh, Speaker Pelosi potentially losing one more safe seat for, you know, competitive race. Um, you know, I don't know, but maybe uh, the representative's choice to be the first Native American to run the Department of Interior was just too enticing. You know, to, as you talk about, um, this department's been around about 120 years, according to my you know brief research. And this job has always gone to a Westerner. Only once has it gone to an Easterner. Um, but to have an American, Native American to take on this role is pretty symbolic and kind of plays into the narrative we were talking about last time about first, you know, having a broad-based coalition, having uh, a cabinet that looks and speaks like America is kind of important. Um, and this is a very divisive, you know, this is always seen as a kind of a divisive department because so much of the West we fully appreciate here on the East Coast, but a state like, you know, Nevada, nearly 80, 90% of the state is run by the U.S. government. So um, what do you do with this land? Do you use it for exploration? Do you keep it for future generations? Big decision. So I don't know. It's kind of an interesting uh, pick. And um, I don't think she'll have any challenges. I haven't heard of any uh, kind of blowback that, you know, and also I think it would be pretty hard for the uh, U.S. Senate to reject a Native American for this job. Uh, speaking of another person who's probably likely to get through pretty easily, but without uh, not without raising some eyebrows, uh, Tom Vilsack, it looks like, might be returning to the Department of Agriculture. This is someone who served the job under the uh, Obama presidency for all eight years. 
And so as a former governor of Iowa, he, he certainly knows the idea of farming, our food systems. But a lot of people worry that he has too much of an eye towards big business. He has too much of a, uh, a long history of siding with um, large farms versus small farms. And that while he, he certainly, again, is one of these steady picks who knows how to do the job, that it certainly is a lost opportunity to have put somebody really progressive in this role. And so um, that's why some people are saying, well, you can put Vilsack in this role, but we also need a food czar. We need someone to look at the idea of our food system when it comes to access, when it comes to sustainability, and some of these other issues that maybe right up at the cabinet level can't necessarily be um, entangled into the politics. Yeah, as somebody who Joe Biden wants in his huddle, you know, I think Vilsack could easily be uh, the most boring pick so far. I mean, as you rightly point out, governor from a huge ag state, which is dominated by, you know, multinational agricultural interests, uh, somebody who had the job for eight years previously. Um, the idea that nobody else can do this job, I think is kind of interesting. And all these picks, you know, have definitely been center left, almost kind of big business, Democrat, new new. New Democrat kind of Bill Clinton approach to running the government, which is going to create definitely problems uh, for Biden in terms of the progressive community. But I don't know. Uh, I do think he'll get yeah easily go through the nomination. But I don't know. Probably not the most exciting pick. But once again, stable, steady, hit the ground running. This is a theme we're hearing over and over again. Biden is reinforcing the ground, um, especially somebody who may you know Biden may not be in that power in that that long. There's a lot of conventionalism in D.C. that he may only do this for one term. So he wants the people that around him inside the huddle that can hit the ground running and move the country forward. All right. Now, you, 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 we've, we've talked about in this inner circle, in this huddle, it's good to have people who understand the leadership of it. Talk to me about another governor who might join the ranks at the Department of Energy. Here we go. Jennifer Granholm as uh, two Michiganders. We should be excited. I mean, more Michigan. It's great. Um, so Granite Holmes is interesting. Uh, I think her whole job is going to be about industry and renewables. I think being from the Great Lakes, you know, what a lot of people don't know, um, if you take the Great Lakes region as an economy, it is a bigger economy than Germany. I mean, Great Lakes is an economic powerhouse. Michigan is the original Silicon Valley. Granite Holmes knows the region well. She knows all the big companies. Uh, she's a Canadian, which is kind of interesting. And the fact that, you know, she really understands this kind of ecosystem and the amount of activity that goes on between, say, Michigan and even Ontario. But I think this is a subtle reminder that Joe Biden is going to spend a lot of money on infrastructure, going to find a lot of money on renewables, right, to kind of power the next generation of the economy. And also having somebody who can speak to CEOs of corporations that can not only direct money, but that can kind of spur the innovation needed to propel the economy forward. Well, isn't Team Biden uh, flat out rejecting donations from fossil fuel companies to its uh, inaugural uh, fundraising and, and things like this? So already, sure. uh, Granholm's got her work cut out for. Uh, yeah, I hadn't heard that. That's interesting. I mean, if you want a modern economy, I hate to tell people you need fossil fuels, but that's another discussion. Like a windmill is not made without carbon. Um, I, I think this I is going to be an interesting pick because. Um, the governor's record is going to be reviewed across Senate Republicans' uh, tables when it comes to her confirmation. 
we need to remember this is a very ambitious uh, political figure. And that if it weren't for the fact that she is Canadian, she would certainly have been in these presidential races, past and future. And so, um, also, I think her time as a CNN contributor is going to be interesting. I've got to believe there's four or five prime examples where she said something totally crazy that somebody's going to find very interesting on live television. On um, live television, yeah. But I think you know, and you're right. She's very ambitious. In some ways, I thought maybe she would be a future Supreme Court justice um but i don't know delivering michigan from you know for joe biden was obviously super important helped propel him and kamala harris into the white house so maybe that's a payback i do i can kind of see that ecosystem though of understanding the industrial great lakes and reusing that to re-energize and propel the economy forward maybe that's the thinking but um yeah i think she's probably has a 45 percent chance of not getting through and speaking i'm going to pivot over to essentially what i think is an energy adjacent job, the secretary of transportation, another Midwesterner, another Midwesterner. Seeing former political rival mayor Pete Buttigieg uh, come into the department of transportation. It's certainly going to be one that gets um, a lot of attention because people have uh, seen mayor Pete's ambitions. There were a a number of jobs that were kind of brandished about. There was talk that they were maybe going to send this guy to be the ambassador of China. What do you know about that? Well, I mean, I thought that was, here's what I'll say about, uh, I think it goes back to the key thing about Mayor Pete and you hit it on, he's very ambitious. We all know he's smart, Rhodes Scholar, McKinsey, Naval Reserve. I've been calling him the William Hague of America. So shout out to all my Tory friends out there. Um, but the idea that he was going to go to China seemed totally preposterous. I mean, there's like absolutely no upside to that. What a terrible job, tough job. Um, as we talked about in uh, another great Danish political show, Morgan, nobody hears you scream in Brussels. Certainly nobody hears you scream in Beijing. I didn't see any upside there. I think what's interesting, going back to this kind of energy play, build back better, transportation, industry, future of electronic vehicle, electric vehicles, autonomous vehicles, mobility, you know, it plays into the narrative of what uh, Mayor Pete wants to do, be a part of that. Um, but does he have the moxie to get it through? You know, going from running the city of South Bend to running an apartment is leaps and bounds. I mean, that's like, it's like visiting Mars, the difference, the scale. And um, I don't know, I think he's going to have a, a challenge getting through the Senate in the sense there's five or six people on the Republican side that see Pete as a uh, future competitor, and I'm sure they'd like to rough him up a little bit. So I think his uh, hearing is going to be super interesting. He'll dazzle people with his intellect. Does he have the street smart politics to get through? Um, in some ways, a bit of a surprise, frankly, that he's in the cabinet. He's certainly a, a young guy with a, a big political future ahead of him if he can use this as the stepping stone to um, to reach you know, the next echelons. I know we're running out of time here, so I want to look at one last department, and that's the Department of Veterans Affairs. This surprised a lot of people because with the pick of Dennis McDonough, a former White House chief of staff and non-veteran, a lot of people think this was another swing and miss for the Biden team. Possibly, but, you know, getting back to this narrative, we've said this like at least 27 times on this latest edition of the huddle, stable, steady, hitting the ground running. Dennis McConaughey knows how to run the country or knows how to, you know, knows how the government works. Chief of staff is certainly somebody who understands getting cross uh, multi-agencies to work together. Um, I don't know, maybe the Veterans Affairs Department, you're closer to this uh, kind of organization in this group than I am. 
seems it has definitely not been handled well. So maybe fresh thinking, maybe having somebody who's not uh, not tied into special interest, you know, comes with a fresh perspective could be good. Um, everything I've heard about McKenna is he's very serious, studious, focused, and that, that could be the difference. At the, sa- at the same time where he, he, he didn't pick a veteran, which of course people want to talk about somebody who understands the experience of the people in that uh, department, which has been plagued by a lot of problems, a White House chief of staff has to be next to nothing when it comes to the, the guy you want in your corner. This is not only somebody who can get anybody on the planet on the phone, but you know has certainly been in the inner circle that can talk about how to massage a budget to get us there, how to have the relationships on Capitol Hill to get the funding that we need, how to address the problems because he knows where they are because he's read the reports. He's been in, you know, in the scrum of things uh, when, when, when the chips were down. So I think that um, it, 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 it's an interesting choice, but it's certainly a capable person who I would, uh, I'd pick for my team anytime. And as you know, Brendan, uh, the geography, you know, proximity is power in DC veteran affairs. is just a five iron, you know, from the white house. It literally is like, a hop, skip, and a jump across Lafayette Park. Uh, having Dennis McConaughey that close to the White House also maybe his powerful signals, um, but we'll see. Um, none of this is going to be easy, but I think Biden, these first few picks, has shown the people I want inside the huddle with me, steady, stable, know the city, can hit the ground running. I think that's the narrative that you're going to hear more and more of in the coming weeks. Well, we've certainly got a lot to address. We only went through a few of the departments here. There are uh, lots more picks. There are over 700 people that the Biden administration will need to appoint uh, in order to have a fully functioning government. Uh, I think the last question before we go today, Mark, if you were making a, a decision or a deal in Washington, who would you want in your huddle this week? So, yeah, as we're recording this today, you know, I think Dr. Fauci just served his fa- first vaccination shot. I think that is a super powerful imagery, not only for the country, you know, as we move forward, but also very symbolically for the Biden administration. As we talked about, I think you're going to see an amalgamation of industry and business coming together to move the country forward, leadership, people that know what's going on. So I think if I, if this week, I'd want Dr. Fauci in my huddle. How about you? I think that um, we have to remember that sometimes even in our inner circles, we need to bring in people from the other side. I think this week I'd want Mitch McConnell in my huddle. Of course, the question on the minds of many is, did did uh, McConnell deliver the best deal for America when it comes to the stimulus package that's uh, in play right now? And and, and the, the question is, is a little bit irrelevant because there's so much politics. They, they said this pay, this bill is one of the longest in history, 5,500 pages. And we know that even with $100 billion going to uh, Americans in stimulus, there's still $750, billion going to other causes around America. So you want to know what? We have to remember that maybe the next most powerful person in Washington right now is Mitch McConnell, because he's going to be able to leverage his 20, 30-year relationship with Joe Biden to try to actually make government function again uh, from both sides of the aisle. Now, 100%. I mean, you may not like Mitch McConnell, but that dude knows what he's doing. He's been in the town for a long time, easily one of the most powerful people in the country 
if not the most powerful in terms of controlling what happens on the floor of the Senate. I think you're right. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, Biden's an institutionalist, loves the Senate. You know, maybe we have a rare opportunity where we can get some stuff done because this country needs to get some stuff done. We got massive challenges economically, health, physically, national security. And, you know, I don't know, maybe this weird relationship between Biden and McConnell, getting those two guys inside the huddle can make the difference. I absolutely agree on that, Mark. Uh, we've got a, a lot of uh, politics ahead of us. Which we love. Politics is great. Democracy never rests, which is super interesting. And the idea, you know, as you said, 700 people are going to be appointed. This is going to be a multi-month process. Joe Biden is yet to even announce he's going to be running his commerce team, which is kind of interesting. Um, so we look to doing this again. We're going to do multiple episodes, bring in some outside experts as we kind of explore the inner circle analysis, who Joe Biden is surrounding himself with. So we'll see you again on The Huddle.